Somebody said, now you know who your faithful are. <laughs> no donuts, no child care, and they still showed up. So uh, all the ones that aren't here are here for the donuts. So we are tracking you. Uh, <laughs> but but too, uh, I see Danielle. I don't know where you plopped down, Danielle, but... Chastain, she, she, oh, she's back there, uh, but she's one of our principals in the area here in Fishers, and um, I was just telling her, like, two weeks ago, we had all the high school kids at my house, uh, and I was explaining for doing youth ministry 15 years, Big John and these guys can uh, attest to that, but I always encourage my, my adult leaders to touch the kids, appropriately it's good touch but any time that you're in their presence is to touch them because it's a proven fact that everybody needs to be touched by another human being and so i'll either punch them hug them whatever but make some kind of contact with them just because uh one it says i see you that you're important and that uh, I'm glad you're here. And so uh, the touching thing, and then we come, they came back to my house last Wednesday, this past Wednesday, um, when the whole world's shutting down, and the world's telling them don't touch each other. So just within a week, the message of touching one another just totally got shut down. Uh, I won't, I won't attach this to spiritual warfare but it is spiritual warfare that's what it is i mean we live in a fallen world right that's the whole deal it's not like god gave us the coronavirus it's just a fallen world and um so we live in it and we as believers try to manage how to be the light in a dark dark world and it seems like it's getting darker and darker these last week or so but uh Keep smiling, keep encouraging, keep loving, keep touching. Just do it cleanly. <laughs> you know, just wash your hands and uh, hug one another. It's a big deal. Um, I, you know I carry this uh, Bubba quarter with me. He danced with me last night, me and my daughter, Bubba. But the thing about this uh, quarter uh, for those of you that know the story, it's a Montana quarter, but it has heads and it has a tails. It has two sides to it. But the truth is, it's a quarter. It's worth 25 cents. doesn't change, but it has two sides to it. And the message that I'm about to share with you today has had two sides to it. I was taught one side growing up. I flipped it over and saw the other side. It's still the same Bible. It's still, but there's two different perspectives to it. I learned one growing up, learned another one when I was about 37 years old, and now I honestly carry a one-sided coin because it's all I believe is the one side. I've been there, done that. So you take this message out of James chapter 2, 
which deals with the two issues of faith and works. You've got James, who's Jewish, grew up under the law, kind of still somewhat, someone people would say, a legalist, still wanting to reach out to the Jews who are still grabbing on to the law. But then you've got Paul who's like, hey, the law is like, it's obsolete. Jesus died on the cross, took care of the law, now he lives inside of you, spirit. Same thing we teach in here every week. So you've got Paul, you've got James. But honestly, they say the same thing. So let's try to look at it from a different perspective today when we read the end of James chapter 2. I, I, you have to ask the question, uh, what faith really saves a person? What faith is it that saves, gives you salvation? Is it necessary to perform good works in order to be saved? In this room, I hope there's a resounding no. How can a person tell whether or not he is exercising true saving faith? You know, demonstrating the authenticity of our faith is the primary focus of this section of Scripture right here, starting in verse 14 of chapter 2. James' deeds of faith are not at all what Paul meant by the works of the law. Not at all. You take those in comparison... The, the questions James placed before his hearers is that uh, faith in Jesus, excuse me, the, the question James placed before his hearers is very different from the issues that Paul had. James was concerned with the demonstration of faith in Jesus Christ through the works of mercy, but Paul, he was more concerned with the justification through Christ alone and not the rituals of the law. Here we go, James 14. He, he, he does this in kind of a cool way because he, he, he says there's like three types of faith here. Watch this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? This is a rhetorical question. Uh, there's, there's really not an answer that is expected here. Works is any kind of like action or deed. That's what we know it as. But the emphasis is not on the, the true nature of faith, but on the, the false claim of faith right here. What James is saying is some of you are out here and you're saying that you're of faith in Christ, yet that's not necessarily true. The first faith that James talks about, I said he talks about three different types of faith. This one he's talking about a dead faith. People with dead faith substitute faith for words and deeds. They talk about it. You hear what I'm saying? There's, there's talk, and then there's actually just being. Merely claiming to have faith is not enough. I don't see how you can separate faith from works. And I'll get to that here in just a second when we talk about the third kind of faith. These people, they know the correct kind of vocabulary for prayer and testimony. They can even quote the right verses. Uh, 
but somehow their, their walk just doesn't measure up. You know what I'm saying? They think that their words are as good as works and uh, they're wrong. Remember, James is writing this letter at the time when the Pharisees were just blasting the Jews who were believers in Jesus Christ. And so you had those that said they would believe in Jesus to pacify the Jewish believers, and then at the other turn, they're kind of pacifying the Pharisees. They really had no faith at all. You can tell by their actions if they're truly saved. Because I believe that genuine faith is, is evidenced by your works. It says uh, in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, the sinner is saved by faith. Not saved by faith and works, it's saved by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, the believer must walk by faith. Not faith and works, but by faith. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You can't just do the works and not have faith. Faith comes and then the works follow. Romans 14.23 says, Whatever we do apart from faith is sin. That's a big one. Because that's the one that we teach. If you're doing it in your own flesh, if you're doing these things in your own flesh and not out of faith, then it's sin. Like you can literally do good deeds, good works, and if it's out of your own strength, those good deeds and good works can be sin. It's crazy. But anything that you do out of faith, by allowing the Spirit to do it through you, those are eternal. Those, those hang with you. The rest all burns away. I watch verse 15. It says, If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. Here he's saying, and he's calling it, dead faith. If there's no works that come with it. The rhetorical question that he asked previously is followed now by a hypothetical, but a very realistic illustration. He's describing this internal strife within the church due to selfishness. Like, when are you going to stop worrying about yourself and start being concerned for others? I can't think of a better passage of Scripture than this one that we should be dealing with this week. I'll speak about my wife for a second. This is the tragedy of being related to the pastor on the stage. But she was at, I don't know, one of those stores, Meyer Target, the other day, yesterday. And uh, there was a lady there, and she was looking. She said to my wife, look at this. And she pointed to, they're in the uh, pharmacy area and medical medicine and all that. She says, there's nothing for kids. Like, all the, all the kids' stuff is gone. And... <clears throat> She was explaining that she needed some like liquid Advil for her 
for her child. And Michelle and her had a discussion, then she, they parted ways, and all of a sudden the Spirit reminded Michelle that she had two bottles of liquid Advil at home that were unopened. And so she went back to the store to find this lady and said, hey, look, if you can't find what you need, here's my phone number. Call me, and I've got liquid Advil at my house. You see, I don't think Michelle did that selfishly. I think that was the spirit in Michelle that said, go find that lady. That's what we call works. That's what we call deeds. But it was out of her faith, out of her faith that the spirit led her to go back and find this lady. This is exactly what we're talking about. It's kind of like you, you say uh, Elvis is alive, but is there any evidence that Elvis is alive? It's the same thing. Workless faith is worthless faith. It is unproductive, it's sterile, it's barren, and it's dead. This is what James is saying. He's really calling them out. You say you have faith, but... There's really nothing to follow up on that faith. You're not showing us anything. A poor believer came into the fellowship without proper clothing and need, and basically you just let him walk out. You didn't even care. Keep warm. Be well fed. The visitor came in naked and hungry and went out naked and hungry. 1 Timothy 6 Verse 8, it says, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. That's what he says. He says that being clothed and having food is necessary for everybody, even the poor. Matthew, Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 31, 32, it says, so don't worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. James has taken this illustration right here to the rhetorical question, and he's, he's making it very real, and he's using Scripture. Jacob, back in Genesis 28, says this, Then Jacob made a vow, If God will be with me and watch over me during this journey I'm making, if he provides for me with food to eat and clothing to wear, and if I return safely to my father's family, then the Lord will be my God. Jacob's even saying, I, I need food and clothing. That's just the basic necessities. As, as believers, as those walking in faith, we really have an obligation to make sure that those needs are met for other people. Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith especially if they're in this fellowship right here. Take care of one another. Make sure that the needs are being met. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 says this, If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Even John's like saying, how's that possible? How can you have faith? How can you love Jesus and you just let things go? It says, little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. Then you have the priest and the Levite in the parable of the Good Samaritan. They had their religious training, but neither of them paused to assist the dying man at the side of the road. 
we sit here and we take the scripture, all 66 books, and we sit here and see that taking care of people and taking care of needs is, is absolutely necessary. And who is the one that is going to do it? It's the people of faith that are going to do it. The people with dead faith really are only having an intellectual experience. In his mind, he knows the doctrines of salvation, but has never submitted himself to God or trusted Christ for his salvation. That's a pretty harsh statement. I like what Warren Wiersbe said. He says, no man can come to Christ by faith and remain the same any more than he can come in contact with a 220-volt wire and remain the same. It's impossible. If Jesus Christ is taking residence inside of your your holy redeemed self how can you not be changed this is what james is saying then verse 18 he says but someone will say you have faith and i have works show me your faith without works and i will show you faith by my works <laughs> there's that someone or they said, you know what I'm talking about, an imaginary person is introduced. I like what uh, the message says. It's a translation of the same verse here. It says, I can already hear one of you agreeing by saying, sounds good, you take care of the faith department and I'll handle the works department. Not so fast. You can no more show me your works apart from your faith than I can show you my faith apart from my works. Faith and works, works and faith fit together hand in glove. In other words, the respondent is saying, faith is not the key. What counts is works. Thus, the respondent has really gone too far. And so now James, he's not saying that works are essential to faith or that faith is unimportant. His argument is that works are evidence of faith. Now he gets into the second kind of faith. Verse 19. You believe that God is one. Good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. He, he's talking about now a demonic faith, a second kind of faith. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This was daily affirmation of faith of the godly Jew. You believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. So is that really faith? That you believe it's one God? If the demons believe that, is that really of salvation of Jesus Christ? No different than the demons. But the demons are touched also in their emotions here because look what it says. It says they believe and they tremble. It's not a saving experience to believe and to tremble, even though there's emotion involved. A person can be enlightened in his mind and even stirred in his heart and be lost forever. True saving faith is something more than that. It's something that changes lives, it transforms lives. 
How can a person show his faith without works? Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. James has introduced us now to two kinds of faith. He's introduced us to the dead faith, and he's, de he's introduced us to the demonic faith. Now watch this. Verse 20, senseless person. Are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? He, senseless persons, some of you, I'm going to cough. Is that all right? <coughs> no, I'm sorry. Cover. <coughs> sorry, front row. Just clear my throat. Yeah, soft cough. Isn't that crazy? Just like... <laughs> He's talking about a senseless person. In some of your translations, it says foolish. It's usually tra translated as vain or empty or even hollow. Useless. He says the word useless. Are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Useless. That's a, it's in the Greek, it's actually translated dead, barren, or idle. But faith that is barren is not saving faith. Because once again... Spiritual works are the evidence, not the energizer of sincere faith. Now, oh, here we go. I know this is the part that Phil Tooley was uh, uh, curious about because he's bringing in the Old Testament character of Abraham. And Phil's not even here. So, uh, verse 21. Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac his son on the altar? Remember that? where Abraham finally took his son that he had and bound, binds him up, gets ready to sacrifice him on the altar. That was a work of faith. He says, you see that faith was active together with his works, and by works faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. This question is often held directly opposed to Paul's, Paul, who wrote Romans, his statement that Abraham's faith, not his works, caused God to declare him righteous. They'll take these two and they'll say, oh, so James is saying that Abraham did these works, but Paul's saying it's because he just believed. You've got two contrasting thoughts here now what are you going to do with that Paul's arguing for the priority of faith but James is now arguing for the proof of faith priority and proof Paul declared that Abraham had faith and was therefore justified and declared righteous prior to circumcision. If you go all the way back to Genesis 15, verses 6, it talks about Abraham believed. He believed and God credited him righteousness. The circumcision didn't come until two chapters later in Genesis chapter 17. He was credited righteousness before the works of circumcision ever came about. It was his faith that credited him righteousness. And then James explained Abraham's faith. It was evident in his practice of Isaac's sacrifice. Yeah, what Paul said was proven when he went to sacrifice Isaac. 
James looked at Abraham's story to show how genuine faith operates. He's like, look, this is what it looks like. Paul says that he was saved by faith, and then when he was saved by faith, this is what he did. He did good works. Works pretty much serve as the barometer of justification. While, honestly, faith is just the basis of justification. So now he begins to explain this third faith. It's very dynamic faith. The mind understands truth and the heart desires truth and the will acts upon the truth. Let me say that again. The mind understands truth. We all have the mind of Christ, right? The mind understands truth. The heart desires the truth. He's given me a new heart. He's taken my old heart out and he's replaced it with a heart of flesh. And that's what my desire is. People go, well, if you teach them, you know, this grace thing, they're just going to go out and want to just sin all they, all they can't. No, he's given me a new heart. He's given me a new desire. And the will then acts upon the truth. What is, what is God's will for your life? That's the big question, right? What is God's will for your life? God's will for your life is to walk by the Spirit. It's the same for you as it is for me. Uh, we can talk about calling. Callings are different. Everybody has a different calling. But the will of God for you is to walk by His Spirit. That's it. You, you realize that, right? You either walk by the Spirit or you selfishly choose to walk by your flesh. That's your choice. Your choice. God says, my will for you is that you walk by the Spirit. I, I really don't care where you park out here. I really don't care. All I want you to do is walk by my Spirit. That can look so many different ways. I can park anywhere I want. Now watch this. Verse 24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? Now he's like, He's literally taking these Old Testament characters and he's saying, look, look what happened here. Rahab, who if you go back to the story back in Joshua chapter 2 and chapter 6, she was a harlot in Jericho. She was a Gentile. She was a Gentile. When Joshua was sent spies into the land to take the promised land, it was Rahab that was there that helped the Israelites because she believed in God. And it was even helping the Israelites to overtake her own people. Think about that for a second. Abraham and Rahab. You could not find two more different people in the Bible. James says, you got Abraham, who's the Jewish guy that everybody looks up to, and they have him on a pedestal, and then you got Rahab, the Gentile harlot. Compare those two. Yet they both had faith, and they both did works based upon their faith. 
Abraham was a godly man, but Rahab was a sinful woman, a harlot. Abraham was the friend of God, while Rahab belonged to the enemies of God. Two opposite people, but they both exercised faith in God, and it was shown through their works, and this is what James is trying to show them. Then the last verse is this. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. James chapter 2 right here emphasized that the mature Christian practices the truth. What is works? Works is us practicing our faith. What is practicing? It's something that we do on a daily basis. It's something that we do over and over and over. Look, you, you can practice walking in the Spirit, but you can also practice walking in the flesh. There's sometimes, there's sometimes those that are of faith will practice walking in the flesh for a season. And it's, watch this, it's clearly evident. It's clearly evident to everybody around. Yeah, but I thought that they were a person of faith. Yeah, but for some reason in this season, they're choosing to selfishly walk in the flesh. I'm not here to judge. Unless the Spirit leads me to. Hmm. Think about that for a second. Sometimes, as a pastor, you see those that are walking in the flesh. Sometimes, even as a friend, you see those walking in the flesh. And sometimes the Spirit just leads you to remind them of their identity in Jesus Christ. That they are holy, redeemed, forgiven children of God. Not to condemn them. For those who are now in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. The Spirit comes to convict the world of its unbelief and its righteousness. Who's he convicting of righteousness? Those who are believers in the faith. Will I pass judgment on you? If the Spirit leads me to. but I'm always going to come back with you with love because I care about you. Not condemnation. Just going to remind you who you are. Just remind you who you are. And, and man, I would hope that you would do the same for me. I'd hope you'd do the same for me. James, he's, he's not holding on to like ancient doctrines. He's, he's saying practice those, those, those doctrines in everyday life. Just, just do it. What did he say last week we were talking about? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. Those two things. You do those two things, you're good. 
His faith is not the dead faith of the intellectuals or the demonic faith of the fallen spirits. It's the dynamic faith of Abraham and Rahab. You have the faith of Abraham, this godly man, and you have the faith of Rahab, the harlot Gentile. And it's those faith that change the lives and goes to work for God. One side of the coin is, if you have faith, you must go do works. The other side of the coin is, if you have faith, you'll just do works. Because it's the natural byproduct of who you are. I'm not required to do works. I do works because it's my faith. I see it from a different perspective. It's not the law. It's the law of the Spirit that lives in me that teaches me to do these things. I go back to my friends who one day figured this thing out. And they wrote this song. Got to live right. Just stay in line. You've heard it at least a million times. And like me, you believed it. They said it wasn't works, but trying harder wouldn't hurt. It sounds so crazy now, but back then, you couldn't see it. But now, here you are, eyes wide open. It's like you're seeing grace in a brand new light for the first time. Let us be the first to welcome you. Welcome to the life you thought was too good to be true. Welcome to the new. You broke your back, kept all the rules, jumped through the hoops to make God approve of you. Oh, tell me, was it worth it? The whole time you were spinning plates, did you stop to think that maybe he's okay with just you? There's no need to join the circus. You, my friends, are free. You are free in a world that wants to bind you up. Even when religion wants to bind you up, you're free. Father, uh, we kind of put James in a whole nother light when we read it, but the truth is, is that if you unpack this with us, that uh, he's just affirming what the rest of the gospel saying. And so, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for allowing us to see another side of it. And thank you for being real in our lives. Especially uh, this week when there's just so much chaos and uh, so much unknown. You bring us peace that we can know you. And uh, know that your word is real. Know that uh, your spirit's in us. You're going to protect us and take care of us, provide for us. And uh, thanks for allowing your church to be together today that we can see each other and, and touch one another. And uh, just thank you for loving us today. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.